0: Everyone, welcome back to Survive and Thrive, a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how, in changing times, leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but also thrive. I'm your host, Jennifer Ayers. Today, I'm honored to have with me one of my partners, Samantha Collins, as my co host. I'll let Samantha give a little intro, even though I know you may have heard her voice in the past for all my dedicated listeners. Let me just remind our listeners that during this season, our third season, we want to help our listeners think about how to positively influence the change they want to see in their organization, how to minimize disruption, and even normalize the concept that change is constant. We'd like to help our listeners really understand why it's important to help people navigate change and how doing so can help unlock the magic in your organization. With that, let me turn it over to Samantha to share more about herself, and then I'll give an introduction about our very awesome guest today.
1: Hi, Jen. Hi, hi Grant. We're happy to have you here with us. For our listeners, Samantha Collins, I have a background in management consulting, spent a good amount of time, about 11 years at Accenture, driving large-scale transformational change for Fortune 500 companies in the uh, communications, media, and technology industries, I did some startup stuff for a while, and then I joined forces with uh, Jen and Kincentity about two and a half years ago. And uh, I had the privilege of working closely with Grant during my time at Accenture. So we are thrilled to have him on the podcast today.
0: Thanks for that segue, Samantha. Our guest, Grant Revi, has expertise in emerging cognitive applications and transformation technologies in general. He's a leader in automation and customer care practices and serves as an advisor on organizational, procedural, and technological architectural topics. I'm going to have Grant give a little more background about himself. He's got great experience and has been involved in some very curious projects. So let's have Grant tell us a little bit more about himself.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me, uh, Consinity team. I usually start with the fact that I'm a technologist and strategist. I've been in this space for about 20 years. I'm in AI now, but I actually started my work in artificial intelligence back in 99, 2000 when I did independent study work while I was in undergrad. And this was all when AI was a theoretical exercise. Uh, now it's very much real. And so a lot has changed, but a lot hasn't changed. And we can talk about that from a technology perspective. There's kind of three phases to my career so far, although I'm just entering the fourth phase. In the first phase, I was actually in an IT organization, in a data center, working with mainframe computers and reel-to-reel tape machines and robotic tape silos and stuff that we don't think about as technology anymore, unless you watch historical TV, but is still very much in use, particularly in financial services and insurance. Then I shifted over to Accenture. I wasn't there quite as long as Samantha, only a, a decade or so, but we did cross paths there. I did a bunch of different stuff at Accenture starting with more infrastructure project management. I did ERP program management. I did CRM program management. I did data and artificial intelligence. Uh, towards the end, I did organizational change. I did transformation things. All of that took me to the third phase, which was with McKinsey. And I started to broaden my service outside of the U.S. across the globe. I did a whole bunch of CRM-type things. I did a whole bunch of automation type things, which is both cognitive and non-cognitive automation. I've worked on almost every continent at this point, uh, which is exciting to have some of those cultural exposures. Again, we can talk about technology change or transformational change in any culture that you'd like to. But as of now, I am entering my fourth phase, which I have separated myself from McKinsey. I'm an independent executive advisor. I've just recently signed deals that I can't tell you about yet, uh, public knowledge, but I'm also uh, adjunct faculty at a university here
0: in Minneapolis where I'm based. So you're not really doing much these days.
2: I, I try not <laughs> to. Yeah, I'm just I'm just hanging out and talking I haven't really <laughs> done much like
0: in the past either. No, yeah. no. Nah, I didn't think so. I want to quickly chat about how this group found each other. Samantha and Grant crossed paths at Accenture for a while. So let's hear more about that connection. I'm
1: trying to think how many years have we known each other? Maybe seven, seven, eight? Uh, on, yeah. Not I was going to think eight years. Close. Not quite a decade. Yeah. Really close. Close. I remember the first phone call I was on with Grant. I think it was like the, he said one sentence and I immediately burst in, into laughter. It was, it was some joke. It wasn't serious <laughs> at all. And it was, he's uh, consistently been making me laugh for the past uh, seven years. So. Grant's a great friend and one of the most brilliant people I've met. So he he went through his intro of all the fancy things he does for work, but he also is uh, an amazing person, makes amazing sourdough bread and craft pens and all kinds of amazing hobbies as well. You got to have hobbies.
0: I'd have to order the sourdough bread. I didn't really know about that.
2: This week's experiment was uh, cheddar, chive, and garlic.
0: Oh, stop. Uh, it turned I'm hungry. out fantastic. Oh, gosh. That sounds really good. Okay, so grab your cup of tea or coffee and let's settle in and listen here about the conversation next on how certain technologies can actually help accelerate a human centered experience as opposed to disrupting it. How can we marry this world of tech and people in business?
2: Let's start with understanding that automation is typically aimed at removing laborious work from our office flow, our workflow, our business, right? Repeatable work, stuff that really doesn't require a lot of thought to do. And that's what automation is, is aimed at. I think we're all kind of on board with the fact that technology could do this you know, and take away this busy work, so to say, from us. I think what gets lost in that description is that a lot of people take relief from busy work in their day-to-day experience. And so while that might not be the most value-add task, it is something that people enjoy doing. Or it's something that they feel a high degree of competency doing. And so that gives them some sort of reward. So right away, we start to encounter resistance when I said, Hey, Jen, I'd like to take away this task from you that doesn't add a lot to your day, and it takes up a lot of time, and I'm just going to have this machine do it. I'm not engaging with a conversation with you that says, do you like this task, right? Do you get value out of this task? For you as a person, is it okay if I take it away? From a corporate perspective, we're not going to think about that, but we should think about that from a technology perspective. If we're not thinking about that from a change perspective, that people are taking value out of their work, we're missing something entirely. So lots of aspects around automation that we can talk about, but the fact that You know, we're taking out what we consider low-value tasks, and we're not thinking about the experiences people are having with those tasks and why they enjoy them, is immediately creating a whole bunch of organizational friction that we're just not addressing at all.
0: Wow. I love Grant's points. I never considered the connection people may have to those mundane tasks. While we tend to begrudge them, sometimes they do help us feel productive boost our confidence, and get the ball rolling. I know for myself, some days I'm just happy when I can check the boxes off my to-do list even if those to-do items are pretty, well, mundane. However, as Grant said, those tasks don't always necessitate a human executing them, so clearing some of those busy work items can be more complicated than
1: it first appears. Samantha jumps in with her thoughts. Yeah, I've heard that point made by Silicon Valley CEOs in the past, that they made the incorrect assumption that someone maybe didn't like doing their job because that's not what the CEO would want to do, right? But we do have to keep that in mind, Grant. That's such a good point to be made.
2: We should be thinking about when we're going through a transformation, the employee's whole experience. We're typically thinking about this from a factory perspective. What is the most efficient way for this machine to produce a thing? But our machine is not A physical machine, it's a person or it's many people together. Transformations often fail because we expect the machine to behave like a machine and not like an organization. And so this this idea of taking away what is relatively low-value work, but we're also taking away that break, that mental relief, that stress relief, or the ability for an employee to get into flow and into that state, because some frequently low cognitive load tasks allow us to get towards that state of flow and then we can engage in a slightly higher cognitive load task. This is all documented in uh, Flow, which is by Mihaly CZ. I can't pronounce his last name because he's a Polish author, but we can share it and link to the psychologist. But uh, how you get into that state of flow is frequently requiring this lower cognitive level of activity. And if we've taken it out with automation, then our employees simply have an inability to enjoy their work.
0: In thinking about how the pandemic has added additional pressure to companies to innovate and produce, the pace of business is really changing. As a whole, we've all had to adapt to new technologies and relatively quickly. I'm thinking back to all the Zoom meetings we stumbled our way through last year, However, technology is going to continue to change and continue to go fast. So it's going to impact the way we work and already is doing so. So how can leaders help their people adapt and navigate to all of these changes in the work environments?
2: Let's start with the pace of change, because I think you captured part of the pace of change and maybe not all of the rapidity. There was some research by my former employer, McKinsey, just not that long ago but it said that pre covid our expectation on an ability to enable remote work for an organization was going to take 1 to 2 years when covid hit on average it took organizations 11 days to go fully remote
0: <laughs> i would argue it's still taking 1 to 2 years
2: <laughs> so moving smoothly but the ability for all your workers to go home i spent a lot of time supporting contact centers and In uh, my service, we don't think about contact centers as being, you know, homework. Everybody goes to the big beehive contact center and they take all their calls and then they go home. But we were able to shift contact centers remote in very little time. I had a major uh, financial services client that sends something like 3,200 people remote that have never been remote before in six days. And so to think about the infrastructure to do so putting a laptop in the hands of every contact center employee is a non trivial task supply chain problems that we had today we didn't have that back at the beginning of the pandemic but they were certainly huge but the, the pace of change is immense to do that we're talking about how we move things to the clouds which we were thinking it was take a year or two now it's about 3 weeks to do that uh, we were thinking about how do we introduce automation capabilities, which was before like a two year roadmap. Now it's like a month. Everything is accelerated and it's not accelerated just slightly. It's accelerated more than exponentially, right? And you think about a one year to a, to an 11 day transition. That's one 300th of time, right? Like, or one thirtieth 30th of time, if I can do my math correctly. So the pace is massive. Now, the other part of your question is like, How can we get people to adapt in this scenario? Because we kind of threw everybody out of the office and we said, hey, keep working with us. We have lots of collaboration tools, be it Slack or Microsoft Teams or uh, Zoom, what have you. We don't know how to use them. We don't have any cultural norms around how these tools are used. We have lots of cultural norms around email. We have lots of cultural norms around phone and text. We don't have the same around some of these you know, cross-collaboration platforms or video collaboration platforms. And then there are more advanced tools. I say more advanced. They're not relatively more advanced, but they have a different modality of interaction. Things like Miro, which is a virtual kind of design board uh, experience. These are all new. So number one, I would say that the first thing to move in to kind of create some level of comfort is to try and establish some norms with the tools that you're using. They're going to be wrong. But in the absence of structure, everything will happen and you have no chance to control it. So give it some structure and then be willing to abandon it and move quickly towards things or work. Somewhat of an agile concept. But if we introduce Slack to our organization and we're trying to get people to collaborate, let's talk about what should exist in a public channel. Let's talk about what those public channels should be. Let's talk about what should exist in a private channel. Let's talk about who manages and monitors and moderates that private channel. Let's talk about what can happen in a one-on-one conversation versus what can happen in a channel conversation. Let's talk about retention. Let's talk about, do I allow the integration of Giphy and for people to express their feelings through emojis in Slack, just something that we weren't seeing in email before, right? So there are a whole bunch of new things that we need to start including and thinking about uh, step one is to have intention about what you're going to use and how to use it.
1: Yeah, Grant. And also how, you know, how all of the the rise of sort of consumer technology, right? And so how how we use like the Instagrams of the world and we're used to using emojis, right? in text, right? And does that translate over in the business world? I mean, I think so, but we don't really know, right? There's no rules around it. So it's a great point.
0: Um, I've been putting smiley faces in my emails. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Whoops.
2: There's a lot of cultural expression to be captured here. I think one of the things that we don't look at from a corporate perspective is where our employees might have experience in these sorts of tools. The single largest collaboration platform is Discord. The single largest video participation platform is Twitch. Now I'm excluding YouTube, but like I'm thinking about collaborative elements. YouTube certainly has collaborative elements. So that means people in our corporate organizations, which don't use Discord or Twitch are coming with those sensibilities, right? We have the same kind of thing when we talk about product development and technology domain and our customers are going to use Amazon to have a purchasing experience. If we don't create that same kind of purchasing experience or look and feel experience in our digital platform, then we lose our customers. And so it's not about their experience with us or their experience in the corporate domain. It's about their experience everywhere that's now coming into our domain, which is why we kind of need to put some structure around it before we let them loose within this new scenario.
0: In talking about the rate of change, Samantha recalls an important point.
1: The pace of change happens differently, right, by levels in the organization. And sometimes the more junior folks that are more savvy with, you know, new technology platforms coming out might have an easier time adjusting than some of the more senior leaders in the organization. I used to think I was cool because I used Reddit and then all of a sudden TikTok comes out and I'm like, what's TikTok? I I don't know, but my my 12-year-old cousin knows. You smartly brought up the point of um, why don't we flip the idea of mentoring around and have the junior folks mentor the senior, you know, folks on some of these kind of new technologies and how to use them because they're often the ones that know.
2: The story in my mind that always resonates with me is that my cousin, who's about 10 years older than I am, was in college about the time the original Nintendo came out. And so he wanted to play with his dad, who was an executive at GE at the time. So they played, but my uncle wasn't competitive. So my cousin went to college, my uncle bought a Nintendo, and then he paid the neighborhood kid down the street 20 bucks a week to teach him how to win at Mario Brothers. And then when my cousin came home back home from college on break, my uncle just like totally destroyed him and all of their head-to-head matches. It was awesome. But it required my uncle to go out and find someone who was maybe more naturally gifted. I don't know that that's the way to talk about it, but I think maybe someone who had the ability to absorb a new technology, which we see in a younger mind and in a younger brain. I will note that In my experience with a prior employer and the implementation of Slack, I never saw anyone at the executive level on Slack. Everyone who was active was mid-level manager on down. And the most active people were not necessarily the ones who led teams or were leaders in domains. They were people who just had the right set of skills and the desire to be involved in moderating and encouraging a conversation. And so your kind of nodes, if you think about the social network analysis and kind of who's connected to who within an organization, it's channel dependent, right? So who connects with who inside a physical office? You see the extroverts fully connected inside a virtual channel like Slack or Teams or whatever. You are going to have a whole different set of people emerge who are the connectors. So it's super interesting to Samantha's this point. I think that there is a gap. If we, If we go remote, we no longer have a physical space to connect in, and we're introducing virtual spaces for people to connect in. If our senior leaders don't feel comfortable in those virtual spaces, then we're going to lose all of the mentoring that we used to get in the physical space. We're going to lose it all in the virtual space. We're also going to create a a, a side piece of friction here where the the leaders want to move back to a physical space because they love to mentor, but they're going to drag people in because that's what they're comfortable with. That's what they know how to do. But then you have safety considerations for people who don't want to come back to the office, home care considerations. So it it becomes a friction simply because we don't address what people need.
0: I couldn't agree more with Grant. I know that at Consignity, we help our clients with new hybrid workforce setup. We see companies that went virtual that are now struggling to sustain that. While the technology is there, sometimes the culture and the norms around using that technology, as Grant said, are not really founded. I've seen, I think as well as we've all seen, some challenges with regards to even generational divides among those who want to come in and be in the office and those who don't think it's necessary to be in the office to accomplish their tasks. The virtual work environment appeals to the younger generation in general as they may be getting more familiar with certain technologies and practices. There is some maybe tension gathering in some places. We are working with clients today that want to have behinds and seats in the office. And there's friction there because if you want to stay ahead and be able to attract the best talent and you can't give us a really solid justification as to why that role needs to be physically present Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and let's face it, we all have seen the lines blurred between work and home, so now you have to come into the office, be present and be expected to be available at nine o'clock at night too. so something doesn't quite fit there.
2: We moved remote without a reestablishment of what those norms would be. We just assumed that what lived in our office environments would live to remote work now. The challenge with that is we all went into crisis mode, and crisis mode—it's all work all the time, and we never renormalized after a crisis. We never intentionally renormalized after the crisis. So, so, then you see all of this behavior happen, which is leading to all sorts of burnout. It's leading to all sorts of friction against corporate culture, and you know is a huge driver within this great resignation concept that is around. I don't think that addressing this is a particularly difficult challenge. I think it simply requires the awareness that we should address it and then the energy to go address it directly. The example that I am thinking about is for a consulting organization and you might travel with a team as Samantha and I did in the past and go, go be at a, at a client site so you can support the client. You're, you're together. So you spend time with the client, you spend time with your own team. Time with you spend with the client is generally around work. Time that you spend around your own team is sometimes about work, but it's also about learning. So I was in a room and I was learning about change management and transformation from Samantha. Now, when we're remote, we get all these meetings. Who are all the meetings with? They're with a client. And then if we have a meeting with a team, it's all about business. What work do you have to produce today? So where is the space that needs to exist for the mentoring, the learning. We need to create that space. And we simply haven't addressed the fact that part of our time needs to be set aside for not strictly production. We need to set it aside for mentoring. One of the things that I see with, with baby McKinsey consultants is that you're learning through from observation right you're in the room when your partner is on the phone with the client executive and you can hear how that conversation goes this is how you learn how to handle a conversation with a senior executive by observation now if you're remote how do you ever learn to do that
0: right yeah you're right it's uh you need to create these intentional spaces for nurturing relationships One of my colleagues, Steve Van Valen, who you might remember from Episode 8 of the season, often speaks about intentionally creating these spaces, so that asking specific questions or setting aside time in a meeting to talk about the things that you may have chatted about over the water cooler are still important. We haven't really had a lot of time to think about the ways we intentionally develop culture and foster a sense of belonging in a hybrid or work environment that is more virtually based.
2: As you said, like, I love this, create time and have questions to create those connections, right? Engage with each other on topics that you wouldn't normally engage in. One of the other things that we should think about is what happened in that team room, what happened in that project room, and can it happen in another way? So one of the things I have done with teams in the past is we set up a conference room bridge and it's open and everybody's on it and we'll play music through the bridge. Everybody's muted, except if you want to have a conversation with, with someone, take yourself on mute, engage. If you want to have a side conversation with someone, like put it in the chat there, but allow for that openness. Do it while you're working. Make it a point of having a conversation on this open open bridge over your work time. Now, we've shifted kind of how we work, right? So we're no longer eating dinner in the team room. We're eating dinner at home with our families because that's where we are. But we can still find ways to bring this kind of like the line is always open, the conversation is always possible concept to our virtual environment. It just requires an agreement within the team that we're going to try and do this and that we're going to make it part of our you know, culture because we find value in all of the things that we can learn.
0: While it may feel forced at first, fostering that culture of belonging can be as simple as asking an interesting icebreaker at the beginning of a meeting. Simple questions like, hey, what was your favorite toy growing up? Can really make a difference. Some interesting insights might be revealed about that individual. Try it sometime. I did this as a group meeting recently and got some very curious and fun answers. On a previous episode of our show, we covered the great resignation, that people are quitting their jobs at record rates in pursuit of something more meaningful to them. I think I speak for all of us when I say that even if you aren't changing jobs right now, the pandemic may have sparked you to ask, why? What am I doing? Why this job? what is my purpose and does my current work align with that purpose? Grant shares his thoughts on purpose and the great resignation.
2: I think it's incredibly important. We've long seen that millennials in part and Gen Z in particular are much more purpose-oriented in what they want to do. We've seen a lot of businesses founded for purpose and with purpose I mean, Patagonia might be one of the older examples of this, but Zappos was a great example of this right before Amazon gobbled them up. And there's whole bunches of examples out here where it's, you know, we do things for good. Having the organizational purpose of, of a Zappos, right, is not every company, but aligning the purpose of the organization to the stated goals of the organization, to the type of employee that you hire And their internal motivation is critical. There was news recently here about, this was in the New York Times, about a number of McKinsey employees who want the firm to stop serving companies that uh, pollute the environment, right? particularly utilities, uh, materials extraction, uh, energy production companies, because it's not aligned with the stated purpose of creating a sustainable environment like healing the world, essentially, which is something that the firm states outwardly as a goal. And the employees are saying, look, we're saying we're doing this, but we're serving all of these companies. It doesn't feel like we're doing this. And so there's a discontinuity between the purpose that we state, the purpose that our employees have, and their ability to touch that purpose and feel involved in it. Now, large organizations, of course, that's hard. Until we find ways to align all of that People are going to continue to to leave their organization. I'll also say that the great resignation is in part for me, people are now accessing an awareness of their own purpose they didn't have before. They were spending time at home. They're like, wow, this is really awesome to be at home. I get to be with my family. I haven't seen them in a while. Maybe I like some of them. I don't know all their names. What am I doing with my life? Because spreadsheets aren't really all that exciting. Maybe I want to go build something. Maybe I want to go paint something. Uh, Whatever that is, I think that that has happened within the pressure cooker of the pandemic. And that has forced people towards, I want meaning.
1: Absolutely, in alignment. I think gone are the days when you know people show up to work and they're expected to just perform like they're robots, right? I mean, they want to know that the organization, that their boss, that their team cares about them, that has to be there.
2: I'll point towards a book that emerged post-World War II, post-Holocaust, which is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning.
1: It really
2: parallels kind of the experience that we're having now. It's not the same experience by any means, but the fact that we put everybody in a brand new experience and introduced a whole bunch of instability and unknown elements really kind of fostered that same journey. So if you haven't read that book, that's kind of the Great Resignation in a nutshell, at least for me, as people are going, looking for
0: purpose. Great point and, and great book. Thank you for bringing that up. Before we wrap up, I want to ask Grant, what are three things that leaders and organizations can do not just to survive, but also thrive and change?
2: From a U.S. perspective, the first thing that comes to mind is compensation, because if, we, if we've had a, a wage Growth issue here for for most occupations uh, where wages have remained flat and, and and goods and services have increased over the last forty years. So that's a problem is to get people at a place where they're comfortable living. I think number two is focusing on continual education. And so we land in jobs, we stay in jobs, and we have operated under what I would say is a false assumption that we were going to learn from others around us or from people above us how to do the next thing. I don't think that's true. It's especially not true in remote work because of the things that we've already talked about, like when are you getting your manager time to to spend with you to, to learn a new thing? How are you observing people around you to learn a new thing? We need to give people more tools and time and frankly, money to go retrain and relearn. Adult learning is very different than childhood learning. And I think we need to accept that too, what that that set of learning is. The third thing is we really need to shatter some of the closely held illusions here. Again, I'm thinking about Western cultures, in particular, US and Europe, uh, not every culture, but we need to, to shatter Some of these stories that we tell each other around progression as a linear path. We need to talk about how progression and careers are absolutely nonlinear and driven enormously by luck and driven enormously by connection and driven enormously by right time and right place. And we have to support that with just because it didn't happen for you now doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And your experience right now is important, learning that you weren't ready. right? I was with Samantha back at Accenture when I didn't get promoted, and others did get promoted. And it was an important experience for me to kind of go through, uh, to have people pass around me. And then I just went to a different place in a different direction. I think that we, we talk too much or we uphold people who uh, went straight to the top, which is never the journey for most of us. And in organizations, we kind of show that career journey it's wrong.
1: Is the fourth point, Grant, to make your colleagues laugh with an incredibly dry sense of humor. I think Aww. that if we Definitely. didn't laugh, if we didn't have <laughs> yeah. fun, if you're not having yeah. fun That work, one did a lot to help us thrive. Look, yes, look, if you're not having fun, fun at work, then good why point.
2: the heck are why you there? I, I mean, <laughs> exactly. this is Only your colleague
1: laughs at every joke.
2: Uh, listeners, <laughs> listeners can't see, but I have woven Christmas lights and ornaments into my beard in the past. And so maybe oh, that should be my, my, my profile. Fiction. But that, that, that was, I mean, if you can't have fun at work. You're at the wrong place.
0: Wow, well, we are hiring for new positions, Grant. So, <laughs> and we're looking.
2: Have for you met meeting. the fun bar? Is the question? <laughs> have you met the fun bar?
0: Anyway, um, well, I don't know. You'll have to come and hang out with us a little bit more and see if we meet the standards. So, listen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I would love to provide our listeners a way to get a hold of you we
2: can uh share a link here but uh grant at grantrevy.com is the best way to get hold of me via email otherwise hunt me down on linkedin and we'll we'll share those links
0: great and uh suggestion listeners grant is in demand so if you reach out to him uh maybe mention that you heard about him on this podcast and he might prioritize you
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Any friend of Jen and Samantha goes to the top of the pile.
0: Great. Well, listen, thank you so much for the time. And Samantha, thank you for joining me today. It's great to have a co-host on our show. And um, I hope both of you have a lovely rest of your day. And thank you, everyone. And thanks for joining this week's episode of Survive and Thrive Podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.